What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to a podcast about New York sports. Sam here, joined by Brandon. McFeely's still on the IL, uh, looking uh, to be a game-time decision for the second episode this week, uh, still up in the air. But uh, a lot of stuff to get to today. Not going to waste any much time in the intro. Giants with a huge win. Uh, a big week around the NFL. Big Monday Night Football game tonight. Uh, the Jets somehow making up ground without even playing, which is always a good thing for Jet fans. Um, and then basketball right around the corner. And who better to have to talk about some basketball, talk about some Giants, our buddy Brandon. Brandon, how you doing today? Great to be back, Sam. Uh, excited for the NBA season. Yeah, I, I can't wait to get into it, but let's let's talk football first. Let, let's just be frank. Huge win for the Giants in terms of, I guess, season relevancy. Uh, you, you know, you lose a game. I think I was quoted in saying that you lose a game at home to the Commanders, and that's regardless of what your record is, that's not a good uh, – that would not be a good look. But uh, to get your second win on the season uh, right before, uh, you know, let's be honest, a tough Jet game uh, the next week for the Giants, huge win. Um, Definitely wanted to get into that. Brandon, I'll ask you this, and this is how I'll open. What what would you summarize this win as? To me, this is a this is a, a a win in an ugly game against a bad team where you had to win this game. Do you see it any different? No, it was I was gonna use the phrase way to get out of there alive. Yeah. <laughs> um it was a game in which there were a lot of three and outs. A lot by the Giants, and mostly by the Giants in the second half. The Giants didn't have that many yards in the second half. Um, I think they were lucky to come out with a win. I think they gave the Commanders chance after chance after chance to score, make this game a loss to a win. Um, and the Commanders just weren't able to do it. Sam Howell was just under pressure all game. Wink did a great job blitzing, mixing it up. The Commanders give up the give up the most sacks in the league. Sam Howell already has 40 sacks through seven games. Um, more than well on pace for the league record. Um, and it, 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 listen, it's a good matchup for us because they bad quarterback against the blitz. We blitz a lot, but overall, I mean, I guess you're just happy guy there with a win. Like you said, if you would have lost that game at home to the commanders, the season's probably over if it's not already, but the season would definitely have been over after Sunday. Yeah, and Credit to you. I'm going to give myself credit and I'm going to give you some credit. We were together on Sunday prior to the giant game and you brought up the fact that, you know, this could not get be ugly for the commanders. And I, I guess in a way it was, but you, you made it a point to mention that uh, the giants blitz a lot and against a bad offensive line, like the commanders, like you said, that definitely played out in real time. So good call there myself uh, just posted on the podcast, uh, Instagram and TikTok page. I brought up the fact that in in my kind of path to Giants victory, that get an early Darren Waller touchdown, get him on the board, make him a presence, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, I think it's a he had a, his best game as the Giants so far. I thought they made it a point to get him the ball early and often, um, and I think it opened up a lot. It opened up, uh, you know, again the offense was nothing spectacular. I, I want to get that out of the way. I'm not going to sit here and praise the offense, but the lone you know couple bright spots were you got a good Saquon Barkley game that you know, comes out of it healthy uh, and you get your best Darren Waller game. So if, if you can do that against, uh, you know, keep that ball rolling into this, a tough Jets matchup that the Giants could, could make it a game. Uh, you know, obviously I'm not saying they're outmatched by the Jets, but uh, they can, uh, what I'm trying to say is that if you show some semblance of offense with the way the Giants defense played this weekend, you'll, you'll hang in a lot of games. 
Yeah, I think with the Giants, it's going to be you're going to have to pride yourself on the defensive side of the ball, going to have to create turnovers, going to have to be bend but don't break when teams enter the red zone Um, because the offense just isn't – it's not there, and I don't think it's going to get there this season. I don't think that the pieces are in place. I don't think the offensive line is good. Even even with Andrew Thomas, there's still too many holes and glaring holes on the offensive line that make the offense hard to run against teams that have good coaching or a good defense or both. Um, looking ahead to the Jets matchup, I mean, the Jets are definitely the better team. I guess if Daniel Jones plays, they have the slightly better quarterback, not the way that he's played this season, but I guess I would, I, I can't say I'd rather have Zach Wilson than Daniel Jones, but yeah. Zach Wilson has played well over the last couple of weeks, um, doing more of a game managing, not turning the ball over making some decent throws. Um, I want to see them call the game. Similarly to the way they've been calling it for Tyrod Taylor, I don't think there's any reason why we need to put so much pressure on Daniel Jones to be like this ultimate playmaker for us. I feel like last year we let a lot of guys do the work for us, for, for him. And this season, I feel like we've been in too many positions where we've had to put a lot on Daniel Jones' shoulders and it hasn't looked pretty as the whole NFL world has seen. Um, I'm not going to sit here and think the Giants are the favorites in this game. They're definitely not the favorites because the Jets have the best unit in the game and there's no glaring quarterback advantage. So, I mean, I know we looked at the spread yes uh, on Saturday when we were together, but I'm not sure what it is now. I can only imagine it's probably, I don't know. The giants didn't play well last week. I would imagine the spread probably stayed around the same. Yeah. So at, right now I, I have it at jets are minus three. Again, it's technically a giant home game, but um, the, obviously the, you know, MetLife is shared Where by these two New York teams. So uh, not much of a really almost like a coin flip here. I guess if you want to look at it, if you take away the three points for, you know, uh, home field advantage, I guess Vegas is saying that the Jets are three points better than the Giants. Uh, if you're if you like to read lines like that. But again, back to Daniel Jones, because a report came out um, right before we started recording that if Daniel Jones is deemed healthy enough to play, that they will play Daniel Jones over Tyrod Taylor. So kind of putting putting to bed the any sort of, you know, argument to to keep this Tyrod Taylor thing, if anything, rolling. And, and I kind of want to – I want to get your stance on that real quick, but I just want to say, like, you know, think about the Giants' offense. It, Daniel Jones, when he was, you know, fully healthy, really only played one good half of offense against a, a Cardinals team that, you know, ha- has shown that in the second halves of games has, has fallen apart. Uh, so not that impressive there. And then, you know, same thing for Tyrod Taylor. The Giants didn't score in the second half of this commander's game. And it, it kind of, the, the offense was, this was kind of a punt fest in the second half, ugly offensive performance. What I'm trying to say is, and tell me if you disagree, but, you know, Tyrod Taylor's done well, he's filled in as a backup, but, you know, he hasn't really done anything to warrant any sort of major shift in, in, I guess, starting him over Daniel Jones. Do you agree with that? Oh, a hundred percent. I was, I didn't know what your stance on this was, but there there's literally nothing he's done to prove that he's better for the team than Daniel Jones. Let's yeah. remember that Daniel Jones has played against the Cowboys defense. Who's elite. Um, he played against the bills. I know he, the Tyra Taylor played against the bills, but he didn't do anything crazy. I just think that we're looking at, Oh, they almost beat the bills, but I think Daniel Jones would have done exactly the same thing against the bills. that Tyra Taylor did. Um, we're not there Taylor, by the way. Yeah, I don't think Tyrod Taylor would have done anything differently in these first six or five games that Daniel Jones started. Um, might not have came back against the Cardinals. I'm not really sure. So 
no, I don't think Tyra Taylor has done anything to prove that he should be starting over Daniel Jones. And I don't think the organization ever once even debated starting um, Tyra Taylor over Daniel Jones, unless Tyra Taylor was literally playing out of his mind, which I think if you see the games, they've scored nine points and 14 points. Yeah. And they didn't score, like you, we, we both said, didn't score in the second half against the Commanders. Didn't really move the ball in the second half against the Commanders. Um, basically put the game on the defense to go win and – they were able to do so, but no, there's there's no quarterback change in New York. So do you put any stock into and we're in lockstep there, I agree, but do you put any stock into the idea that, you know, Tyrod Taylor, you know, just knows, you know, normal offense. He's not really Daniel Jones, you can argue, is still growing into his own, I guess, uh, whatever kind of player he's amounting to be. But do you put any stock in like, you know, Tyra Taylor knows how to maneuver behind an offensive line. He might be more elusive, uh, harder to bring down in terms of getting sacked uh, over Daniel Jones. And, you know, uh, do you think the offensive line play better? Or, you know, what do you attribute this? I don't want to, again, I don't want to make it sound like it's a huge, you know, offensive renaissance for the Giants. But what do you attribute, I guess, some semblance of stability on offense here? Is that just Tyrod Taylor being a veteran? I don't think there was stability. I think we went three and out half the game. <laughs> or not, or not, you know, not turning over the ball, not looking, you know, when Daniel Jones is in there, a lot, a lot of the, the blame came on the offensive line. And if, if, for one, if you want to, I guess, praise Tyrod Taylor and the Giants or something, it's, you know, Tyrod Taylor got, he definitely got pressure and the offensive line is, like you said, not, still not great. But I thought the offensive line looked better with Tyrod Taylor in there uh, at quarterback. I think the game is called different by Dayball when Tyrod Taylor is in compared to um, Daniel Jones. I also think the commanders are kind of weak in the back half of the, in the, of the secondary. Um, they, the commanders still had four sacks in this game. Um, I believe all of, all of, but one maybe in the second half. Um, I don't know. I don't really put much stock into that. I think that, like I said, I think the game and the season would have looked exactly the same um, with Daniel Jones starting all seven games or Tyra Taylor starting all seven games. So I guess, no, I don't put any stock into that. I think Daniel Jones, by this is year five for him now. He should know how to maneuver decently through a offensive line and pocket. Yeah, should. Should is a key word there. Um, and I guess, you know, last last couple of things here. And Did anyone, anyone kind of stand out to you? Anyone kind of have an undersung? undersung game one for me and you know it won't so, show up in the stat sheet but I think just the fact of having a guy like Wandale Robinson be there as like a little bit of a gadget and like a, a wrinkle in the offense on, on top of Darren Waller having a good game on top of Bar Saquon Barkley being Saquon Barkley I think having him there on offense is just like another threat is going to be something that the Giants are going to try and utilize more and more and I think he's he's getting a little bit more involved as the weeks go on I wish they got him more involved. He's probably our yeah. best athlete uh, in terms of like side to side, making guys miss him and Saquon, but he's just got like a different energy that when he gets the ball in his hands in, in space, it's really hard to bring him down. Another guy that was huge for the offense yesterday, especially with the, the commanders and how they play so much uh, press man and just man coverage. Jalen Hyatt was able to stretch the defense, caught yep. a big pass earlier in the game, almost caught a one handed touchdown on a fade ball in the second, in the first half. Um, having like, like the, like the five weapons on the field being Hyatt, Wandale, Waller, Saquon, and I guess it would be like Slayton. That's or not Daniel like, Jones legs or that. Yeah. Well, they, I was just saying like the five, the five. Yeah. Eligible gotcha, guys. Gotcha, yeah. Gotcha. Well, and, and Daniel Jones legs exactly like the offense. Like if the, if the line plays like 
decently plus like really good play calling because we know we both know how important play calling is to like offensive success a lot of times especially when you're a team who may not have the most talented quarterback or offensive line I think play calling helps offensive line a lot if it's good play calling um but no I just think the the Giants offense it it played okay in the first half and scored two touchdowns and was able to hold on in the second half but I do think that their schedule does get a little lighter as the weeks go on maybe they start to rattle off some wins build some offensive confidence I'm not really sure though yeah, I mean, you see, again, you see the Jets. Uh, don't want to get too far ahead here, but you see the Jets who are coming off their bye. Uh, then you have a game against the Raiders in which no one knows the status of Jimmy Garoppolo for that game. Then you play the Cowboys, and then you get the Commanders and the Patriots. So, you know, other than that Cowboys game, nothing really there scares you tremendously. Although, you know, I'll say this. A win against the Jets in for the Giants would be, would be huge. Giants. It would be so huge. Not only for, obviously, just, you know, Jets versus Giants, but just for the, you know, the trajectory of this team to get that third win, uh, you know, before your bye. And again, with a week schedule coming up, I think it could bode well for this team. Um, now, uh, last question I'll ask you about this Jet game. Uh, give me a percentage chance here. Give me, I want to not, I want to line. I want to hear you say, you know, I think the Giants win by this, or this is how they win. I want your honest percentage chance that the Giants come away with a win against the Jets. 30. Okay. Interesting. Because, so that, that's really your confidence level. Yeah. Well, because you have to think of it this way. Like, and I think we talked, we mentioned, we talked about it like briefly off the pod, but like the Jets defense is elite, if not one of the best in the league, top five, a hundred percent. Yep. The way the Giants offense is played all season. And with the Jets strength being their defensive line, this game is probably not going to bode well for the Giants offense. If they score if they were if the Giants were able to get 17 points in this game, I would be like shocked. Yeah. So if we're scoring 10 points, that means our defense has to hold the Jets under 10 and would have to mean that the, the Giants offense doesn't give the Jets any points. And I'm not yeah. saying just like pick sixes or fumble sixes. I'm saying like you fumble interception. Now the ball is on the 15 yard line. That's basically an automatic three with a potential for seven. So the, the way the Giants win is literally just you have to take care of the ball take advantage of any mistake the Jets defense makes and hope to win the game 10 to seven. I was going to say, I think the Jets giants game screams like 13, nine final. <laughs> That's like a no touchdowns in the game type of game. Yeah. Maybe like one lucky one or like, you know, some, maybe a bad like pass interference in the end zone that gets them, but like Correct. definitely not an all uh, an offensive uh, battle there. Um, Let's get to the rest of the games around the league real quick before we get into some big basketball preview. Um, we'll, we'll start on, uh, I guess, the Thursday night game. Uh, Jaguars over the Saints. I know you're much higher on the Jaguars than I am. Uh, I think Derek Carr is just not good anymore. Um, and Trevor Lawrence, you know, I, I can sing all the, the hate I want on Trevor Lawrence, but he keeps proving me wrong, and he actually subtweeted me the other day. So <laughs> uh, talking about his haters. So. Uh, any thoughts on that game there other than what I just laid out? <laughs> yeah, listen, the Jaguars, they're 13 and five in their last 18 games, which is a season long of games. And their three of those five losses are to the Kansas City Chiefs. So this team, not just Trevor Lawrence, this team is a very good football team. They sit at five and two atop of the AFC South. And they're probably going to be pushing for a one seed because of A, how easy their schedule is, and B, how good their team is. So, 
Um, glad they got out of there with a win. Thursday night games are always very interesting. Trevor Lawrence played injured, has 10 days to rest before his next game. And so we'll get to the next game. The We'll start with the Sunday 1 o'clock slate. I'm sure everyone predicted this. The Cleveland Browns out the Indianapolis Colts 39 to 38. And this is this is uh, this is an interesting one. Deshaun Watson gets hurt. He goes one for five, uh, passing five yards in an interception. He looks terrible. PJ Walker comes in 15 of 32, 178 in an interception. The the Browns put up 39 points and did not have a passing touchdown. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it's extremely weird. Um, I feel I feel bad for this Browns team because if they had a capable quarterback, we'd be talking about them as Super Bowl contenders. Yes. I, and then as for the Colts, you know, Gardner Minshew, uh, he had two rushing touchdowns. There was some Minshew magic there. But, uh, I mean, this Browns defense, again, we sung the praise of this Browns defense, and it's tough for me to say that, you know, they're so elite. They they are a good defense, but after giving up 38 points to the, to the, to the Colts, I, you know, Tough one. They win the game for sure, the defense does. Um, and I think, you know, if you ask the Browns, they probably very similar answer to the Jets in terms of, like, who do you trust more? Uh, but, you know, I think the Browns are okay with having their defense uh, win games for them. But they give up 38 points to a Indianapolis Colts team that Jonathan Taylor gets more involved. Uh, you know, uh, tough to really say what this Colts team really is. Uh, some decent weapons there, but – uh, with Minshew at the helm, it's it's a bit limited. So uh, nothing too impressive there. Uh, next game, the shocker of the weekend, perhaps. The Patriots beat the Bills 29-25. to uh, I don't know what it is with Bill Belichick and facing AFC East teams, but he gets up for them. This was the best game, Mac Jones. This was the best Patriot game they've played all year, not even close. Um, and this was a stunner. Yeah, absolute stunner. Um Matt Jones, I think was this is his second game-winning drive of his career. Um, I don't think any Patriots fan had any faith that Matt Jones was going to lead a game-winning drive against the Bills. But what I will say is this. The Bills lost three all-pro players to season-ending injuries on defense. No one kind of really thought it would matter. And they gave up 29 points to a Patriots team that basically every other team um, is shutting out or basically blanking. So very interesting game. Division game on the road, always a little interesting. Bill Belichick gets his 300th career win. Kind of went under the radar that he was going for win number 300. Yeah, um, I thought so too. And, yeah, I was a little surprised when I heard that, that was this was the one. But um, I guess his team got up. And Yeah, st- I think my, my expectation for the Patriots are still, you know, I still don't think they're a very good football team at oh, all. No, not at all. But, you know, I, I think a lot of people, it's kind of a, a known thing now that, any given Sunday. So, uh, you know, you get the Patriots at home looking back on it. It was decent spot for them to upset a, a like you said, a hurt bills team. Um, one, another injury that just came out right before we started, Darson Knox is going to miss time, uh, for the bills. Now, obviously not an all pro, but definitely another weapon there on their offense that, uh, Josh Allen will be without bills are now four and three. Uh, and you know, I still think my expectations are high for the bills. I still think they're a good team. They have a, a great offense some great weapons, but like you said, uh, injuries are going to derail any team. Um, next game, this was a game that you and I debated and I was on the very, very wrong side of, as well as some of the other, uh, podcast, uh, pickers, uh, in our pick in our weekly pick segment, the Ravens absolutely trounced the lions 38 to six. This game was over early. Lamar Jackson, uh, looked absolutely unbelievable. I thought this offensive line for the Ravens 
looked unbelievable. Uh, and they just made quick work of the Lions. And uh, maybe the Lions got exposed. Maybe the Ravens just had the game of the year for them. But uh, this was a to me, this outcome was stunning. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you in the fact that the outcome was stunning. I did not expect the Ravens to beat them 38 to 6. I did not expect the score to be 35 nothing for a large portion of this game. Um, what I did expect though was Jared Goff playing in the cold, and yes, 50 degrees in Baltimore is for Jared Goff cold. Um missing yes. Dave Montgomery, who I think is a huge part of the Lions offense, and also just I felt like and I heard on a bunch of podcasts that there were whispers around the league that the Ravens hadn't really opened up their offense yet and that Munkin was kind of saving it for later in the season, which I thought was kind of interesting. Wasn't sure how much I agreed with it, but the way the offense played today, I'm I'm a little bit less skeptical of what I was hearing on podcast prior. Um, his receivers decided to really catch the ball in this one. There was a lot of wide open guys running, like running wide open. Um, receivers were making plays with their feet. Mark Andrews had a few touchdowns on tight end day. Um, and I'm going to give you a great stat that I saw this morning on Twitter. Lamar Jackson, 246 passing yards when under pressure, which only has been like recorded since 2009 when quarterback pressures became a defensive stat. That's the most in a game by any quarterbacks since that has become a stat. Wow, that that's so awesome. He was, elite, he was elite when he was under pressure, which uh, obviously if you watch football, you know that does not happen very often. Yeah, very, very tough to do. Although I will say that, you know, I, I, I'm not that I'm shooting down the stat or anything, but with my eye test, I thought that especially in the first half of that game, Lamar Jackson had a lot of time in the pocket. Like he, like okay. he might have, he might have been getting pressured, like, but you know, holding onto the ball like long, maybe to waiting for routes to develop. Like you said, opening up the offense a little bit more. All very impressive, you know, regardless of what the oh, 100%. The circumstances are. But I think I thought that. In the, especially in the first couple drives and, you know, they get out to, I think it was a 21 nothing lead really, really early in the first quarter, I believe. I thought he, they were just marching down the field at will. Um, okay. But I, I impressed me nonetheless. Um, next game, another backup quarterback bowl. Don't really have to say too much about this one. Uh, Bears beat the Raiders 30-12. to 12. Division two, uh, Heisman quarterback Tyson, was it Badgent? Tyson yes. Badgent, 21 of 29, 162 and a touchdown as well as three rushes or 24 yards. You know, say what you want about Justin Fields, but I thought this kid looked really good. <laughs> I mean, he looked solid. He made some decent throws. Um, I think if if he if there could have been like a dream opponent for your first NFL start, it would definitely be a Raiders team that's coached by Josh McDaniels and quarterbacked by Brian Hoyer in his 15th or 16th or whatever season yeah. in the NFL. So yeah, the Raiders are no good. a great storm of events and also being at home as well. Um, Bears always have a good home field advantage, always make teams play tough in their, in their building, especially in the second, uh, like when it starts to get cold. Um, what I will say is this Tyson Badgett, Division two quarterback had 65 family and friends in the stands and he, he put on a show at three touchdown he, passes. He put on a game. show and a half. He was like, he, he ran for like a first down, I think. And he was, you know, waving on the crowd and he was there. He was all for it. And I loved it. So uh, good for him. Cool story there. Um, next game. This was a, uh, this was my pick that I again, missed on Uh fun fact here for the picks. Absolute. No correct picks this week. Uh, tough one here, but, Hey, look, we were like 20 and, and eight going into this week. So some regression might be due for us. 
Um, Falcons 16-13. Desmond Ritter's first win on the road, I believe. Uh, and I think this Bucks team is got out to a 2-0 start uh, and since have been very, very unimpressive. Uh, Young Ho Koo with another game-ending field goal. Uh, he's almost automatic. He's a huge weapon. Um, again, this is, this is just an ugly game. Desmond Ritter still just doesn't impress me whatsoever. Baker Mayfield is what Baker Mayfield is. I feel like – so Baker Mayfield goes 27 of 42, one touchdown, one interception. I feel like that's the most Baker Mayfield line of all time. Yeah, no, listen, I was very high on the Bucs um, a couple weeks into the season. felt like they were still being underrated a little bit by the general public. I was all over the Bucs this weekend. I felt like at home, big division game, the winner of this game took first place in the NFC South with the Saints loss on Thursday night. And they come out and they absolutely lay an egg. The The Falcons fumbled three times in the red zone, twice on the one-yard line. Um, they were begging the Bucs to win this game. The Bucs could not go out there and do it. Baker could not make the big throw when needed. Um I do believe that his – I believe Kate Otten did drop a touchdown on third and goal or second and goal that would have given them a lead. So I won't put everything on Baker Mayfield, but when your team only scores 13 points and wins the turnover battle, you should win the game. And um, you're at home. And you're at home. Nonetheless, I am now not as low on – I'm not as high on the Bucks as I was. Falcons, I was so okay betting against Desmond Ritter, and somehow they won the game. Like I said, they were begging the Bucks to win. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. I, I – I would take the Bucks again. <laughs> like I think, oh, we, I, oh, we were on the right side of the bat. We just did. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah, definitely. Um, and then another, the next game here, another one that I think I'd take again. This was a weird one. Well, let me say this: I, I wouldn't take it again because looking back on it, I kind of bet against one of my, you know, no bet against things. But Mike Tomlin is just a great coach. That's all I'm going to say. Steelers win twenty four seventeen. Uh, I was so high in the Rams. McFeely and I are have been high in the Rams all year. Uh, I again, the Rams are so weird because they have like I think very highly of Matt Stafford. Cooper Cup is back. The emergence of Puka Nakua. Aaron Donald on defense, and they they're three and four. Like they're they're a very kind of strange team to look at. Uh, but Pittsburgh four and two gets the win here. Uh, what did you think about this one? Um. I think the Rams have kind of been a lot of the same team each week. They play really well for like 35, 40 minutes. And then the last 15, 20 minutes of a game, they kind of just fall apart against if the, like the, if the other team is good or well coached, they'll fall apart and lose. If the other team is not as well coached or doesn't have as much talent, they can hold on and win. Um, I think the key for the Rams the rest of the season is going to be if they're playing a team that has a dominant D line, don't bet on the Rams because the teams that beat the Rams have very good defensive lines. The Bengals we saw on Monday night, um, the Steelers in this game, it just it hurts their offense. And yeah. the Steelers somehow they're sitting at four and two. They look like one of the worst teams in the league offensively through six weeks or through seven weeks. But their defense is elite, and they somehow figure out their offense in the fourth quarter. It becomes a lot of Kenny Pickett to uh, George Pickens on the sideline. The the off it just wakes up in the fourth quarter, but the defense keeps them in games. They still have the worst offensive coordinator in the league, um, but they're four and two, and they're right in the battle for the AFC North. And and uh, everything you just said, totally spot on. And I'll add another layer to that. And again, this is going to sing my praises of Mike Tomlin. Cooper Cup, two catches, twenty nine yards. Yeah, that that when when you limit a guy like Cooper Cup to that, I put that on the opposing head coach because I think that's that's going to be game plan wise. So. 100%. Uh, 
pat on the back there to Mike Tomlin. I don't think he needs my pat on the back at all, but nonetheless. Uh, next game, Seahawks beat the Cardinals 20 to 10. Uh, this is a game that I liked. Looking back on it, I should have I should have taken it as my pick. It was on the on the fence about it. I'm still not that impressed by the Se- the Seahawks. I think, you know, I think Geno Smith is good. I like I, I'm a big Pete Carroll fan, but there's just something off about this team. There was no DK Metcalf in this game. I'll say that for the offense, but I don't know. Geno Smith just seems like a, a glorified game manager to me. And, you know, they're they'll win games. They're they're very like 500 to me, the Seahawks. Like they're just like a mid they're like the middle of the pack team for me. Yeah, listen, I think the Seahawks last year uh, making the playoffs to seven seed probably overachieved a little bit. A lot of uh, pundits and TV guys and podcasters like the Seattle Seahawks this year. They have a it's underwhelming defense. Um, I know they allowed 10 points today, but they were playing against Josh Jobs and the Cardinals without their best offensive player, James Conner. Yep. Um, and listen, but you can't really say anything like bad because they're, th- they're four and two. They have a win over the Lions. Um, but I think the offense has been a little a little um, underwhelming, especially with who, all the weapons they have with JSN, Lockett, DK Metcalf, uh, Ken Walker, Jake Bobo, improved yeah. offensive line. Just hasn't been the season, like how it's looked hasn't been good, but they're sitting at four and two and they're probably going to end up making the playoffs because of how weak the NFC is. Yeah, very, very Steelers-like out of the Seahawks. Correct, I agree. Um, but very very like, similar, but different, different ways. Yes. Yeah. Um, next game, another ugly one. This is uh, – I don't know. How, I really didn't watch much of this at all because of the other 4 o'clock games. But Broncos beat the Packers 19-17. to 17. Uh, This is – Broncos are ugly. Packers are ugly. They Again, another team that started off well. They kind of impressed in the first two weeks and have, have dropped uh, game after game now. Nothing here sticks out to me in the box score of the – uh, of the Packers, the leading receiver of the Packers was AJ Dillon with two catches for 34 yards. Uh, trouble there and on the offensive side of the ball for the Packers. Yeah, no, listen, I was high on Jordan Love coming into the season. First couple of weeks looked pretty good. And since then, it just really hasn't looked good. He's been really inconsistent with the football. The offensive line lost Bakhtiari again for the season. Just another guy who can never stay healthy. Um, it's been very – it's been uh, – the offense is called very conservatively. I was watching some stuff on Twitter this morning because I usually look up Jordan Love stats and Jordan Love clips because I like to see if he's actually, like, good or is it – or not. Um, and there was a lot of talk about Matt LaFleur's um, play calling and how it's very conservative in the first half. They scored zero points in the first half against a Denver defense that is just not good. Um, they did somehow – the Packers take a lead in this game. But then their defense failed them and allowed Russell Wilson to come down for a game-winning field goal. Uh, nothing really here from the Broncos. They win the game, a good win at home. Um, but yeah. there's a team that I wouldn't expect to see anything out of going forward. Yes, two two shit teams here, to be quite honest. Um, Correct. Next game, another another. This was the game that I, I was kind of focused on the most. Uh, Chiefs best the Chargers, thirty-one seventeen. Uh, Really amazing game here out of Travis Kelsey on tight end day. 12 for 179 and a touchdown. Unbelievable offense ran there. Uh, Mahomes throws an interception but goes 32 of 42, 424 and four touchdowns. Uh, they, I, you know, the Chiefs are what they are, 6-1. and one, Probably the uh, – they'll, they'll be there at the end. I think everyone can agree on that. And then as for the other side of the ball, the Chargers – Man, Austin Eckler couldn't get it going. The only one that really did anything in this game for them was Josh Palmer. 
Uh, and even, you know, Justin Herbert, you can say what you want about the Chiefs defense, but I, I didn't think he looked good whatsoever. No, Herbert definitely didn't have his best game. Listen, I think this Chiefs defense unit is a top five unit in the league. I think they're really good. I think they don't give up points. They once again allow under 20. Their defense has not allowed more than 20 points in a single game this season. Um, and I, listen, I like the way they look. I think that the offense is starting to figure it out. I think that Rashi Rice is becoming the number one receiver on that team, supplanting Sky Moore. I think he played the most snaps he's played in a game this season, caught another touchdown. 31-17, Chiefs cover as a favorite. I think that those stats regarding Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs not covering as a favorite of more than three and a half points is kind of coming to an end because of how good the Chiefs' defense is now and holding teams under 20. I like the Chiefs, man. Chargers, fire Brandon Staley, get someone else as a better head coach and save Justin Herbert before it's too late. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think Justin Herbert, again, didn't play well. No, didn't play well. Chiefs' defense is very good. Tough matchup on the road. But Justin Justin Herbert has too much talent to be uh, like you said wasted here. Yeah. Uh, last game last game of the slate. We still have Monday Night Football tonight, but the last finished game of the slate, uh, the potential game of the year candidate going into it. I to me it lived up to the hype. Uh, Eagles beat the Dolphins also thirty one seventeen. Eagles impressed Dolphins. I think this was the first real big test of their entire season. And uh, well, I shouldn't say that, but maybe maybe. An, another test by the, by the Dolphins here. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say they didn't look impressive, but my, my whole stance on, on the Dolphins and I guess the way they, they play football is I, I like to see them, you know, I, I likened it to uh, a guy that hits singles versus the home run hitting team. And the, the Dolphins are the home run hitting team where they'll win some games on big plays, but you, if you limit those big plays and hold them to singles, they're going to, they're going to have a tough time, uh, winning and you play a good defense against like the Phillies or sorry, like the Phillies, like the Eagles. And you're going to, you're going to have tough time with those big plays. Darius Slay uh, an interception uh, for the Eagles and, and this Eagles offense, they're a machine. Yeah. Um, how do I want to talk about this game? Cause this was, it was a good game, even though 31 17 final Tyreek Hill did drop a touchdown over the middle of the field. That probably would have made it a one score game. Yep. I think that this game got away from, Dolphins early fell behind 17 to three. Not that they're, they're definitely a team that's equipped to come back, but Philly, Philly likes to play from, uh, from, from ahead. And when they can play from ahead, they're really good at controlling the ball, running the football, which I actually do think that the Dolphins did a great job yesterday at containing the run. I was preaching all week. That I thought they'd have a huge game running for 200 plus yards. Dolphins yep. definitely shored up their, their run defense a little bit since the beginning of the season. What I will continue to say about them is that I don't think they're a team that's built for January football. They're a team I think that's built for September through November when the weather is still is still nice. So the Eagles win this game. A.J. Brown, huge game in this one. Hurts a little up and down. Looked great in the fourth quarter. Looked like he was limping at times. Not really sure what's up about him. He has, the most, he has more turnovers this year already than last year throughout the entire season. So... I don't know if that's just trying to try things out, see what works, trying to fit tighter windows, not as comfortable, um, not as great offensive line. I'm not really sure, but he looks a little different than he did last year. And this Eagles team looks a little different than they did last year, but they're also six and one. So not much to say. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that there was uh, some reports that in the fourth quarter, Jalen Hurts was wearing some sort of like light knee brace on. He said he was okay after the game, um, yeah. but I guess I, 
I guess what I'll say about the Eagles and kind of getting back to my point about, you know, home run hitters or sustain being able to sustain drives. I think, you know, teams that are uh, like the Eagles, I've said, and I think everyone would agree that sometimes they find themselves in games when they're just way better than teams. Like, I'm not saying that they're way better than the Dolphins, but I feel like there's something to a team that is able to maneuver through somewhat of a close game. Like, like you said, like this game, uh, again, 31-17 final, but the Eagles scored late in this game. This was a one possession game for most of the game. Um, and and I, I think that there's that impresses me and I think bodes well for, like you said, like late, late season, postseason football. Uh, and I, I think I, I'm a fan of the Eagles going forward in terms of playoffs and uh, and whatnot. And I think the same can be said about the Chiefs. I think with the emergence of that defense there, I think they're much – and Isaiah Pacheco in the running game for the Chiefs, as well as DeAndre Swift for the Eagles. I think that's a very undersung undersung thing. Again, didn't, didn't really get the running game going yesterday, but I think as a whole, the Eagles being able to run the football behind this offensive line and not really have to – Again, like I said, rely on the huge plays every single time. I think bodes well for them going forward. I'm, I'm super high in the Eagles. Um, last last thing I'll, I'll ask about this slate. What do you think about the game tonight? Uh, Vikings are home hosting the 49ers. Vikings are plus seven. Vikings at home, I think. Um, they'll probably get run on a lot, but I think that the, the Niners are just looking to get out of this one without any injuries. I think Vikings keep it closer than people expect. I think I'll, I'm not going to say that the Vikings are going to win this game, but this is a, like you said, a lot of injuries here for the, for the 49ers coming off a bad loss already could be an overlook week. Uh, they, they play the Bengals next week on Sunday. 49ers do could be a look ahead. I, I wouldn't hate the, I don't, I don't hate taking the Vikings with the points and I, I would, I'd be stunned, but I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be as like Florida as I think a lot of other people would be if I saw the Vikings come out and Kirk Cousins just hit home run after home run here. But I don't know. I'm skeptical. Something Cousins, fishy about this game. Kirk Cousins on prime time scares me, though. This game could get oh, out of hand. If Kirk I'm, I'm the biggest Kirk Cousins hater ever. That's why I'm not touching this game. But I'll, I'll just say something's fishy about this game to me. Um, well, any other any other thoughts on this slate before we get into uh, before we get into our big basketball convo? Um, do I have any thoughts on the NFL? Nah, nothing to no. say. He's probably gonna win the Super Bowl. <laughs> um, all right. So let's let's shift over from from football to big basketball preview. Um, we we've been on here before talking all things basketball. Last year, you've been on. You've spoken NBA Finals trades, this, that, and a third with me. This is the first time we're gonna do a preview pod, though. So. Let's let's start with with my guys, the Knicks. Um, I mean, what can we say about them? They had they very impressive season last year. Uh, they kind of bring back a very very similar roster. Couple moves here or there, some nice uh, additions in Dante Divincenzo. They're I like to say they're running it back with the Villanova boys and Thibodeau. Um, I think they're I think they're the Knicks are in a great spot. I think they're if I had a goal for the Knicks, just to kind of get this conversation started, keep it rolling, right? You know, you you win. They're over under this year's 45 wins. I like the over. I, I think they, you know, they're going to play a great brand of team basketball. I think there's something to running back uh, a lot of the same pieces, building chemistry. I think Thibodeau is a good coach. I've been critical of him in the past, but I think that they've, they have an identity. 
you know, let's see where they are at the trade deadline. Let's see who the, the disgruntled superstar is. And uh, I think the Knicks are in a really good spot going into the season. Yeah, listen, I think the biggest thing about the Knicks running it back is if you're a good coach, which I do believe Thibodeau is a good coach, usually that bodes well for the continuation of culture building and playing cohesively as a team. They got the Nova boys. They bring in DiVincenzo. They signed Josh Hart to a long-term extension. Um, Julius Randle gets off-season surgery on his ankle. I like the team. I do. I like the team. Um, I think that they are set up to be a top, potentially top four seed in the East this season. Uh, what they were the five seed last season, so yep. they won forty seven and they won forty seven games last year. So we've seen them be successful. Um, I think Brunson is is he's twenty seven years old, entering the prime years of his basketball career from twenty seven to thirty. There's still another level I think he can get to. So I do think that there is still upside for this Knicks team, although may, some people might not fully agree with my upside. But if they were able to pull off an upset in the second round of uh, playoffs and make an Eastern Conference Finals, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, and I agree. I think with a lot of, again, the the Bucks obviously getting Damian Lillard, we're going to go around the league and talk some, not not every single team, but we'll after we talk about the two locals, we'll definitely get into some, some of our bigger storylines in the offseason. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think that, there's no reason why they're, you know, they should regress, I should say. Um, you know, they a lot of offseason trade talk with the Knicks don't really pull the trigger on on anything too big. Uh, they, you know, they get rid of Obi Toppin, sure. Uh, but, you know, I think that opens the door for a guy like Quentin Grimes to get more minutes. Let's see what R.J. Barrett, can we see R.J. Barrett take yet another step forward? I thought, you know, maybe he didn't take a step back last year, but, you know, you're, he's, he's in what, his fourth, fifth year in the league now. You know, averaging 20 points, but, you know, let's see him get more involved in the defense. Let's see him shoot uh, a higher percentage from three, get him. One thing I always look for in RJ is his playmaking. And, you know, obviously the, he's not going to be the main ball handler here, but when he's got the ball in his hand, you know, he's only averaging about two assists, two assists, three assists a year. I'd like to see that get up to four or five, you know, just get the other guys involved. I think maybe in the past, RJ's had the excuse of like, you know, the, the roster is not that good. I don't really have too many options to pass to, but, I don't think that he's got an excuse anymore. I'd, I'd like to see him get more involved in the, uh, I guess, you know, facilitating the offense. Um, you mentioned Jalen Brunson. Uh, I could possibly be the biggest Jalen Brunson fan uh, in in the, in the new uh, tri-state area. <laughs> I think he's just a perfect fit for this team, perfect fit for Thibs. Um, I, I don't know. Let's, let's, let's start with an RJ conversation. What do you think about RJ this year? What do you think about him in the past? And, you know, are you looking, are you expecting huge things out of RJ? Or are you just really seeing him fill into more of like a role player sort of role? Well, I think it's been tough on RJ because unlike other like top five picks, now that the team is good, the ball really isn't in his hands as much because Brunson does obviously demand a lot of offense when quickly is in. He's on the ball a lot as well. RJ has to like buy into the role of, I'm a catch and shoot. I'm a catch and go. But the problem I think with RJ, and you said it with the um, like not a lot of assists, I would love to see like what his expected assist numbers are, or what his like, playmaking numbers are more in depth. But I can only imagine that RJ really isn't that much of a player that when he's going to the hoop, is he really looking to pass more? He's looking to shoot. He's a guy that's always been a great scorer at every level he's of basketball he's played at. He has averaged 20 points per game in a season. We've seen him shoot high percentages from three in a season before. 
But now we can kind of see it all together, playing really good defense. I think that could be a, a place where he gets better at, continue to improve defensively, and can just improve being an off-ball player, cutting more. Brunson is a very willing passer. Um, but I'm not sure if RJ's growth is going to be seen in numbers this year more than just if you're watching every game actually seeing what he's bringing to the table. I couldn't – I'm so happy you said that because I couldn't agree anymore. And, like, again, I, I said, you know, I'd like to see his assist numbers go up. Maybe not necessarily his – like you said, it, maybe he stays the same uh, in terms of assists. You know, he's sticking to his two, three. But, you know, maybe he gets, like, maybe less passes but is just more efficient in passing and, and maybe mm -hmm. he doesn't have as many turnovers. And, again, a very big eye test guy. I definitely agree with you there. Um and then, again, it's all going to fall again on, on Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson. A end of the day, uh, your Julius Randle is, it was brought here and is still here to be the, the B, really. To be, to, honestly, to be an A, or I guess 1A to, to Jalen Brunson's 1B, or wh however you want to see it. But he, I think when, if you're an opposing team facing the Knicks, you're, you're circling Julius Randle no matter who's on your roster. Yeah, no, I do, I personally think this is Jalen Brunson's team. I think Jalen Brunson is a born leader. I think yep. you saw it at Villanova. He's a born winner, won two national championships, stayed for four years. Um, he's immediately shown that he's leading this Knicks team. I don't think Julius Randle is a leader, like, per se. He has to be a leader because he's one of the team's best players. But he doesn't necessarily exhibit leadership qualities all the time with his constant – yelling at the refs and getting technicals and yeah. being a little bit of a, a, a sourpuss when things aren't going his way. A lot of, a lot of facial expressions out of him that you just don't want to see your leaders and your best players doing. Um, but I still think Julius Randle is a great player. I think he's a very, very good regular season player. The playoffs, I'm still a little, little iffy on his performance because what I do think, and I, it kind of is shown the defense gets real in the playoffs. And although he takes a lot of contested jumpers in the regular season, also teams know what you're looking to go to in the postseason. They're really honing in on that. And I think the key for him is this team's definitely going to be a playoff team, but for Julius Randall, it's going to be, can you step up and be big in the playoffs and win more than a series? Cause now you're at the point where you're expected to go be a top four team. Let's see if we can get to top two in the East this season. Yeah, definitely. Uh, expectations are, Expectations are a big team, uh, a big thing here for the Knicks for sure. It's the first time in a long time that you're right that the Knicks actually have, you know, relatively high expectations not not for themselves, but you know, for from the outside looking in, and uh, it'd be interesting to see. Uh, I don't I don't know if I got your official answer on this, but I guess the last thing I'll say on the Knicks, their over under is 45 wins. Do you see them going over or under that? We have to talk about something else, but we'll talk about it after I give my prediction. Um, my predictions, oh, wait, 44 and a half, right? Uh, yeah. 44 and a half. Yes. Yeah. I'm taking the over. They won 47 games last year. I think the East got a little bit worse as a whole. I think you're going to see some East teams tanking towards the end of the season. Although draft class isn't as good per se, but everyone's always tanking if you're not trying to win towards the end of the season. So I think they hit that over 44 and a half number. I think they went around the same amount of games. I, I think I agree with you. What's the uh, what's your what's your uh, talking point? I mean, my talking point is this: they have a lot of draft capital, a lot of young players, and a lot of tradable contracts. Are they finally the landing spot for the next unhappy superstar? Well, so we've we've spoken again off podcast about this, and I I've said 
from the moment they signed Jalen Brunson that they signed him with the idea that in three to four years that he will be the second best player on this team. And I think that they, they signed him as a New York guy, as a guy who's, you know, he, he understands the culture and he's a culture piece. He's a building block here along with Thibs. And I'll throw a name out there. You know, Jimmy Butler, they, the Miami Heat, they get, uh, they, they swing and miss at all signs were pointing that Damian Lillard wanted to go there. This person wanted to go there. Not much happened with the heat. And, and along with the ties of, uh, Tom Thibodeau, I would love to see some sort of traction on, you know, maybe the, maybe the heat, you know, end up being really good and they might be really good and all signs are pointing to them being a very good team. But if things go South in Miami, I would love, and I think it makes a lot of sense in terms of play style, in terms of ties, in terms of, you know, just, just, uh, I guess, culture. I, I, I like the proposition of Jimmy Butler being that guy. And I just wanted to get that out on a record for preseason uh, as not really a, a hardcore prediction, but I, I think it, it would check a lot of boxes. Okay, I'm going to name quickly name a couple guys that I wrote down that I think are just potential guys around the league that around the trade deadline teams can be looking to move them for whatever reason. Okay, well, let me ask you this real quick. Was Jimmy Butler on this list? Yes or no? No, he was not on this list because I don't think the Heat are going to be a bad enough team where they're looking to sell. Okay, got it. Okay, first one is if everything falls apart in Philly, Joel Embiid, obviously you'd give up the hall, you give up a hall for him, correct? Yeah, he's uh he's one of the guys I would most definitely because I think he's he's another one not really more so culture and and whatnot but not that he's a you know a a bad culture piece but uh, I think you know play style more so than anything he would fit beautifully here. Correct. Um, next one I have is if we've already heard rumors that Donovan Mitchell isn't going to sign a long term extension in Cleveland, just Cleveland if Cleveland starts slow, do they try to move off of him? So I'll say this, my Jimmy Butler stance was probably my more, more outside the box thinking one, uh, you know, just think, I need a lot of different dominoes to fall there for that one to be, to become true. But I think this Donovan Mitchell thing is interesting. I think that he signs in Cleveland and, you know, they're a good team. Cleveland's for sure a good team, but I, I my questions with Donovan Mitchell when he signed there was, you know, they got, they, they have a really young roster around him. It looked like they were kind of like, you know, it almost looked like Donovan Mitchell kind of just fell into their lap uh, almost like unexpectedly. And uh, what are they going to say no to Donovan Mitchell? You know, I think that the, the Cavs could have a good season, have a decent season and he can walk. And ultimately I really think if you gave Donovan Mitchell truth serum, I think he wants to be on the Knicks eventually, or at least in New York eventually. Yeah, maybe. And then I also wrote down DeJounte Murray and Zach Levine because I could see both those guys getting moved. So, so Levine, I liked, I liked the idea of DeJounte Murray, although I don't, I don't really see the avenue there per se. You know, I don't really know how much that it would be a nice move, but would it be like a, it doesn't you know, put you like, over the top. Does it really yeah. make you that much better? Correct. And then I guess I could say the same thing about Zach Levine, but I feel like, you know, I, I feel like that would be a, he, he's a great player, but he, you know, as far as like the, the identity of this Knicks team, I don't know if his the way he plays and whatnot is really, mm, I don't know. Doesn't it, it would it would I would be head over heels for it for if it happened. I wouldn't be opposed to it, but in, in terms of you know putting them over the edge, like you said, mm, eh. 
Yeah, I agree. Knicks have a lot of a lot of first round picks over the next few years, a lot of trading assets, a lot of young players on tradable contracts. So I'm yeah. hoping they make a move in the next couple of years, but we'll have to say. Yep. And uh, so that'll bring us to the next team that in in uh next local team and the team that has I'll say this my my opening line here of my notes is the Nets have overcome the Kevin Durant a Kyrie Irving saga drama whatever you want to call it this is a new year for the Nets that are they've gotten out of the black cloud that is uh that was looming over their heads and I, I think that there, there's a very promising future here for the Nets I know you're high in a couple of these uh, guys, Bridges being, you know, the main one here. Uh, w- give me your thoughts on the Nets here, because I, I'm I have mixed thoughts, but I I'll say that ultimately I think they're positive. Um, they're in a weird spot. So their best player is Michael Bridges, who I was singing praises on here every podcast that we talked about the Nets that I was on, and. I, it's now going to become: Can he be a number one guy? Can he take another step forward? Lead teams to victory while also being the best player, also trying to guard other teams' best players. What's his new role going to be? Are they going to throw other guys on other teams' best players because they need to give him a break off defensively? So it's a lot to look at. The big question mark, I think, for this team is Ben Simmons. He's looked okay in the preseason, looks a little more confident in his game, and there's been some buzz out of Brooklyn about Ben Simmons. So if Ben Simmons is back to, let's say, 80% of what Ben Simmons was when he was in Philly – that that improves the Nets and probably puts them in the playing conversation. Yeah, I, I agree with the Ben Simmons take. And I think that, you know, look, you can it's a weird situation. Ben Simmons is right, because some people think he was really hurt. Some people think he wasn't hurt, holding out this, that very just weird situation again. And then obviously on the court, he can't he still can't shoot. So hasn't proven to anyone that he can shoot. So that's a, a hindrance. But. Uh, like you said, all the all of the the clips and all of the you know off season stuff that we've seen from Ben Simmons, he looks great. And and if he's gonna if they can kind of you know uh, I don't want to say restructure his career, but revamp uh, a Ben Simmons career, and he can kind of be even you know even if he get like eighty percent of what he was once thought to be, that's a huge piece. You're right. Yeah, and that is kind of what their season will ride on because if he's not that then the team is really just a bunch of mid-level players cam johnson i like played for team usa then you have a bunch of three uh, and d guys royce o'neill dorian finney smith uh spencer dinwiddie lonnie walker on this team now i like nick claxton so this team's gonna be very good defensively um could struggle to score offensively if mike Howell isn't finding it and other guys aren't hitting shots could be some low scoring nights for this team at times but I think they're going to be a middle of the pack off uh, uh, Eastern level, Eastern conference level team. They'll probably be battling for that nine to 10 seed. They'll be in that range of the Pacers and the Raptors and the Bulls and, and teams like that. So it, it's just tough. Their upside is limited. They have a lot of draft capital. Could they make a move? I guess. I don't really know what their organization is looking to do going forward over the next like few years. They don't have their first round pick this year. So they're probably going yeah, no to be a 40 win team. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think they, they are definitely middle of the pack. Uh, one guy you definitely mentioned that I think is going to be uh, either uh, someone that's going to be a piece moving forward or could be a trade piece here. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie last year of his contract. 
I think, you know, how the season goes will definitely determine whether they, again, they keep him or they trade him. But uh, if the season, you know, if they're, you know, in the middle of the pack there and maybe looking to just shake up the roster a little bit, or maybe they're lacking here and want to, you know, move Spencer Dinwiddie, I think they, they could definitely, uh, they definitely have some, some assets there to trade for, or, you know, if they stay overachieve and they want to, you know, package Spencer Dinwiddie with some future ass- assets, I think that there's some value here to be had in whether it be selling or trading for. So uh, I think the trajectory of this team is definitely going to be uh, an interesting one to follow come trade season. Um, and you mentioned Bridges. He's a, I think he's, and I know you think this too, but he's a budding star in my opinion. He's, he's got the, all the, all the X's he, he you can mark off almost everything. He's, uh, got the length, plays offense, good defender. Uh, it's this is going to be his year to grow. And you know he played uh, 27 games with the Nets, averaged 26 points per game. Uh, if he can, if he can keep that up, if not even you know get get up to that 28 mark, even I think that that's going to be uh, he's going to be a huge piece of this team, and we could see him growing to be an actual superstar in this league. Yeah, listen, he's another guy in New York that's entering his uh, year, uh, age 27 season. This is the time when these guys take their big leaps. Like you said, average 27 or 26 points per game in 27 games as a net last year. What I will say about this team, and I think it could hurt them, is if if Ben Simmons isn't good, this roster does not really have a true point guard, like a true facilitate the offense point guard. Spencer Dinwiddie isn't that guy. Dennis Smith Jr. isn't that guy. Cam Thomas definitely is not that guy. So Ben Simmons being this team, this offense's facilitator is going to be so critical to their offensive success. Yeah, and and it's that's another interesting one because I think you know, like I just mentioned, they might have if they find that they have some sort of holes. I feel like the Nets have like a lot of like very like interchangeable, just like really athletic and like solid pieces that maybe they they package one or two with an you know a pick or two for a facilitator of some sort. Uh, that can, you know, again, if the question is, if Ben Simmons does not pan out to be what um, I guess I, I want to say a lot of people think he might be, but uh, where do you see this team in terms of, of win total? Like, so we said, you, you know, you said 47, 48 for the Knicks. I, I'm, I think I'm comfortable saying, you know, maybe around that 500 mark, maybe a game or two above for the Nets. So then you're smashing the over because their over under is like 37 and a half. Yeah, like I, I think I think that again, I think Bridges takes step step up this year. And I think that they're gonna win a lot. They're they have enough pieces and I feel like they're they have so many interchangeable guys that there's gonna be times where Cam Thomas goes for 30 one night, and there's gonna be times where Spencer Dewitty goes for 30 one night. And they just have a lot of guys that, you know, might not be consistent, but they have guys they're gonna win games that they shouldn't win. And I think that a team like that. Uh, when they're when you're young and then you have a guy who's a constant in bridges. Um, I, I think that they're they're I do like the over there. Yes. I'm going to lean to the over because of the simple fact that they have no reason to tank. And at the end of the season, their guys will just be playing. They there will be a lot of teams that are playing rookies and younger guys and kind of just throwing whoever out there. They will be a team that are probably playing for every game because they'll probably be competing for that nine or 10 seed. So I'm going to lean over, but I think it's only going to be like 38 or 39 games. You'll probably be sweating this one out either way on the over under, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's, it's a good line. I'll say that, but I, if I had, if I had to pick one, I'm, I'm definitely, 
I think I'm I'm gonna side with the uh the over there. Any other any other thoughts on the Nets before we move to more, I guess some some other sneaky teams and we'll talk oh. some Wembenyama. <laughs> Let me think. For the Nets, no, I mean, like, I guess if I make a bold prediction, maybe like Nick Claxton finds his way into like an all-defensive team. I think he's a really good player, only 24 years old. Uh, but this team has a lot of guys that are entering their 27-year-old, 28-year-old season. So this could be a team that could surprise us and get to where you're saying like 40-41 wins, or they could be a team that they don't have a go-to score and it could be like a 36-win team. Yeah, I think they might struggle against like the best of the best, but I think they'll beat up on the bottom feeders. They'll be good because they have a lot of guys who play three and D. Like they, they have like all the guys that if like, oh, this playoff contender is looking for an extra three and D wing. Like the Nets have all those guys. So they'll have nights where they're all hitting from three. They'll have nights where they're all missing from three, but the defense will always be there. Yep. Uh, and I agree. Um, now, the, the biggest question looming in this NBA season, and I think. Uh, maybe not the the biggest question, but uh, literally the biggest question. Victor Wembanyama, is he going to break the NBA? How crazy is it going to be? That's what everyone's wondering. Like, how crazy is it really going to be? And if you've been watching the preseason, you're kind of getting a glimpse of how crazy it's going to be. Um, it's just, it's crazy when he'll block a three-point shot, his teammate will grab the rebound and uh, launch it to him down the court. Easy dunk. Then he'll block a shot at the rim, bring the ball down the court, hit an in-and-out cross, step-back mid-range jumper, hits catch-and-shoot threes. Like, he can do it all. He's basically what Kevin Durant was coming out of college at 18, scoring the ball and looking as smooth as he does dribbling at that size, but at 7'5". Yeah, it's, it's, he looks like a – he doesn't look real. Immediately going to be an elite defensive player, elite rim protector, probably going to average three-and-a-half, four blocks a game – and I'm not being unrealistic because he's going to block a lot of shots and a lot of guys are going to think that they're going to have him beat on drives and then his recovery speed plus his insane length is going to block shots. So um, yeah, I think for whatever the term break the NBA means, yes, he's going to break the NBA in a way that people are going to be like, we have to actually think about how we go at him. He's obviously going to get he, – he could get moved by some bigger bigs. That's not a thing. They're not, not going to happen. He's 18 years old or 19 years old, but I think he'll be just fine. Yeah, and, and it's it, it's kind of crazy to see. Like, I, well, I don't know about you. I feel like I feel like you might relate to this, but I'll watch, like, just highlights. I'm not going to lie and say that I'm over here, you know, watching preseason Spurs basketball every night. But, like, I watch the highlights and whatnot, and I'm over here thinking, you know, my media thought is, if I'm a coach that has to play this guy, like, what do I do? Like, do you, do you just, do you put him in the pick and roll with like a, like two screeners and just tell him like, ho hopefully he, he has to like recover twice. Do you like isolate him on your point guard and, and make him just get him out of the paint? I really am struggling with how, and I, this is why I'm not an NBA head coach, but I'm really struggling to see how they, how, uh, I guess offenses handle him and I really how defenses handle him too. It's going to be a, uh, a definitely a tough task for all teams to try to score at the rim when he's in the game. Definitely have to mix it up, force him to think a lot more on his feet. And uh, I mean, listen, he's going to, he's going to be a tough, he's going to be a tough matchup anytime you have to go against them. I'm so it's going to be so funny to see the first time in a real game where he's guarding Steph Curry on the perimeter. Steph's yeah. obviously going to try to get his shot off. 
it's going to be it's going to be an interesting season to see. We're, it's crazy that we're finally seeing it at the NBA. We're so close to seeing him play in a real NBA game, um, a real regular season game, and seeing it live instead of having to wait for it for another whole year like we all just did. So, yeah, I think he's going to break the NBA. He'll probably – I think he's 4-1 to one to lead the league in blocks. I kind of like that. I, li- I like that a lot too. Uh, and the first time you could see him on national TV – will be Wednesday, 9.30, against the Dallas Mavericks. Um, Oh, yeah, and listen, for anyone that's wondering, the Spurs are still not going to be a good team, but what I will say is this, you're going to see them a lot on national TV, strictly because they have Victor Wembanyama. So there might be some national televised games that aren't good because the Spurs are playing in them, but you get to watch Wemby, so it's a decent treat. He's going to be must-see TV. Um, Long episode. If you made it this far, thank you very much. Um, Last thing we want to do here, uh, I I asked you to to have, you know, a sneaky team that you might think people are sleeping on, and then a team that I'll call it a blow-up team that either you can foresee blowing up or you can foresee just kind of, uh, you know, not reaching their expectations. You give me your sneaky team first. Who's the team that you look at and you're like, hmm, you know, if, if this pans out, this could be a real a real deal here. Okay, so um, I know yours because you texted it to me. I'm going to say one that everyone's thinking, but I'm not using that as my team. The team that everyone's thinking is the Orlando Magic because they think they're going to take an early forward. My sneaky team for this season, I think, is the Atlanta Hawks. Okay. And the reason is they were the seventh seed last year. I think they finished right around 500. Um, I think they finished below 500. They were the ninth seed. And they won the first playoff playing game. And then they played the Celtics pretty tough in a six-game series in the first round. And they lost. I think with a full year of Quinn Snyder, a full year of DeJounte Murray with Trey Young, they got John Collins out of there, which opens up more minutes for the wing guys to play. I think they have a really good rotation. And I think that Trey Young is finally going to learn how to play a little bit more of winning basketball, less me and stats basketball, and less chucking the 35-foot threes. So I'm going to say that the Hawks, my bold prediction, I guess, or a team that sneaked up will be the Hawks being a top three seed in the East. So I, I don't hate it, but I, I see the the Haw- Hawks are to the Knicks, or at least what I see. The Hawks are to the Knicks what the Astros are to the Yankees. <laughs> like, and, and Altuve is is Trey Young, but obviously not as accomplished. But in terms of like, you know, every time we play, every time the Knicks play the Hawks, I want to beat them so bad. I want to, I want, you know, I want – Trey Young on the floor every time he drives, you know, it just, I feel like it's like a, ever since that playoff game and, and whatnot, or the playoff series, it's just been like a little bit extra there. So uh, don't hate it though. I think the Hawks are definitely a, a very viable team. I'll yeah. give mine. I, I like the Pacers a lot. I, I love Tyrese Halliburton. I think that, you know, the, a, a bet that I like is I think Halliburton to lead the league in, in assists. I, I don't mm-hmm. know the, don't know the odds, but I really like the bet. If I had a guess, it'd probably like he, he might be, you know, I'd say he's probably top three, four there. Yeah, um, I think he's like two or three to one. Yeah, so I, I, I love it. I think that, uh, you know, guys like Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, I think that the, this Pacers team is, is interesting. And, and not that like, you know, they're going to they're going to win, you know, 60 games or be a real contender. But I, I think that you're going to see some 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 bright spots out of his team. And I, I think, you know, Halliburton. Uh, again, he, he's going to be the centerpiece of this. Uh, and I, I really think that a guy like Halliburton, who's such a good facilitator, just makes everyone around him better. And I think that the guys, again, like a Miles Turner, who, you know, Miles Turner is good, 
great, great on defense is kind of like a stretch center. I think with a guy like Halliburton and, and the length of him at point guard is going to open up a lot of different offensive sets there for the Pacers. And I, I really like, I really like to see uh, going to be watching the Pacers closer this year for sure. Yeah, I like the Pacers. I think they're another team that a lot of people are definitely higher on. They think Halliburton playing with Team USA, taking another step forward in his game, are going to start leading to wins. Also, they were – I think they won 34 games last year, and Halliburton only played in like 57. So yeah. there's a lot of room for growth with that team. All right, give me your blow-up team. Um, it's funny because I almost picked the Hawks for my blow-up team. Wow, um, interesting. Yes, very. I think they're. I think they're. Uh, let's see how the first half of the season goes. Got it. Um, my disappointment, and I might. This is tough. Well, wait. Is it a blow? Is it like they're blowing it up, or like is it mean like they're just going to disappointed based on how they did last year and what their projection would be for this year? So, I mean, I get my team. I I think I can foresee blowing it up. I'll I'll preface with that. But mm-hmm. if you want, like maybe your your most like disappointing the way the however you see this NBA season going whatever your most disappointing storyline is, uh, who would that be? Okay. This, this is a team that surprised a lot of people last year and I'm just taking them to be much worse in the standings per se. Okay. My disappointment is the Kings. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So they finished the three seed last year. I think they caught a lot of teams by surprise. And I think they caught a lot. They caught a. They have a really good head coach in Mike Brown. So I'm not going to say that like they're guaranteed to be a disappointment. What I'll say is this: they're running back a team that, like I said, surprised a lot of teams in the beginning of the season. Kind of, you maybe weren't getting your best effort against Sacramento because they hadn't been good in so long. And then by the time you realize it, you're 60 games into the year and they're still sitting at the three seed. So I think this year, no one's taking them lightly. Ran back the same team. You're at. You're just adding in a, a, a very good European three point shooter who came over from uh, Europe to play for the Kings. But I just foresee this team being a little bit worse than last year, and I think the West as a whole got much better. I wrote out my standings so I kind of could like look at it and see. I had them as the nine seed, but I think the nine seed and the three seed are all going to be within like five or six games. So yeah. I just think it would be a disappointment, as in. You were the three seed last year. You're you're probably expecting to be in the top six again, so you don't have to play in the play-in. And I have them as a lower seeded play-in team. Interesting. I, I feel like that's a like you said the uh, the public is I feel like still all over the Kings. I feel like a lot of people are very high in them. So very interesting one. Uh, m- maybe mine's not as interesting, and we kind of we kind of hinted at it before when we were talking about the Knicks, but. I'm a big when there's smoke, there's fire guy. I kind of like to stay away from those situations in terms of betting, in terms of even just watching games sometimes. And with that, it's it has to be the 76ers. I think all of the James Harden stuff, all of the the Joel Embiid, you know, in who who knows what his health is going to be, who knows, you know, who he's getting along with in the locker room there. It it could could like you said, could Embiid be the next big star? They have high expectations. A lot of people are high in them. I even heard someone say that, you know, if they move hard in, they become even better, depending on the pieces they get back, Um, which could be true. But I think higher expectations lead to bigger falls. And I I can see this 76ers experiment, per se, uh, blowing up in their face. And, you know, I don't want to say tanking. I don't want to say it's going to get that bad. But um, I think things can get ugly in in uh, in Philly before they they get pretty we'll say my only pushback to that is i'm extremely high on nick nurse as a head coach and 
I don't think he will that I don't think Daryl Morey will trade Joel Embiid. I think it would happen after this season when they if they fire Daryl fire Daryl Morey and hire a new GM. So that'd be my yeah. only pushback there. You're probably right. I guess my my bold my bold take is I think the Knicks finish higher than them. Okay. Is that bold enough for you? <laughs> oh no, that's bold enough. Hey, listen, they're they're projected to be the third or fourth team in the East right now. So yeah, that'd be a little, that's definitely a little bold considering win losses, win loss over unders. All right, well let's 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 wrap this up with uh, last two things and real quick. Don't even need to get don't even need to get technical or any sort of explanation. Give me your finals matchup, finals winner, and your season MVP. All right, uh, it's it's tough to not be um, like basic with these picks. I think there's a few teams that are up echelon teams right now. But I'm yep. just going to say the Celtics over. I'm just going to say, give me the Celtics over the Nuggets in the finals. That that's exactly my pick, and I feel like it's got to be the most popular one to bet on. I would um, assume that I would assume that like the, your 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 pick is the Celtics, the Bucks on the East side, and then the West you have the Nuggets or the Lakers or the Suns. I think the Warriors are juicy at fourteen to one, but not sure they have a full team to really make that happen. Yeah, I I have. So you have the Celtics over the Nuggets, correct? Yeah. I'm I'm taking the Nuggets over the over the Celtics. King nice. Jokic, um, I say he wins Finals MVP. And however, I think this is Tatum's year for uh, season long MVP. Who's yours? Tatum is the is the um like the sexy pick right now. Yeah, but not saying you're wrong. What I'll say is this: I think the NBA voters have gotten a little less caring about how you finish in the standings. So I don't think yes. being the best player on the best team, um matters as much anymore and i think that team has so many offensive mouths that the stats might not be as great looking for tatum so i'm gonna roll with i think how 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 um how serious is Jokic taking the regular season give me steph curry 14 to 1 to an mvp wow i like it a lot all right well brandon thank you uh definitely a very long-winded podcast today I but love it. a lot a lot to get in i don't think there's a single part here we could have uh, we could have cut out. So thank you very much. Um, I don't know if I will be back uh, pending some schedule adjustments. I don't really know who's going to do the preview podcast this weekend, but uh, albeit will someone will be back <laughs> to, to record a preview pod eventually this week. Brandon, thank you. Uh, if you made it this point. Uh, wow. Uh, thank you You're for listening. Loyal. Yeah. Loyal, loyal listener. Uh, thank you for listening as always. Um, Enjoy this NBA season. Uh, next time, next time we record, it's going to be underway. So, uh, thanks for listening. Follow us on all our socials and peace out.